today on It's Time. Because of who we are in Christ, I know where I'm going that we have a promise in heaven, but the world doesn't have that. I hear the calling, it's time. Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today, we're going verse by verse through the New Testament book of Acts. So, follow along as we join Pastor Mike. If you have your Bible, I'd like to invite you to open them to the book of Acts, chapter 11. We've been looking at the power of the Holy Spirit in the early church. What what an amazing thing God does. Without cell phones, without text messaging, God communicates to His own. We remember as we studied last time we were together that God had given Peter a dream about sanctifying what was up to that time not kosher. Saw a sheet let down from heaven. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. We remember Peter argued with God. Finally, he understood that God was communicating to him. At the same time, God was also speaking to Cornelius about how to get saved. You might say Cornelius, this Roman, you might say soldier, was actually the first formal Gentile that got saved. So, as we look at chapter 11 tonight, we're going to go right on. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word tonight, may your Holy Spirit speak to us. Give us your wisdom. Cause these words to come alive. We'll remember them. And so, Lord, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the Gentiles now are getting saved. Verse 1 says, Now the apostles and the brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem... Those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, You went into the uncircumcised men and ate with them. (laughs) Okay, what do we see here? First of all, God is the one that inspired Peter, yet the people are blaming Peter, and God is the one that really did it. Do you think people blame, you might say, you or others for what actually he's really doing? I think so. Uh, here you find that they were very prejudiced, you might say. They, they were very super spiritual. They were super righteous. And oftentimes we find this as a problem sometimes in Christianity. I remember an actual story that happened when I lived in California right before I moved up here. And there was a guy who had a house. I think his parents uh, owned the house. And anyway, they had moved back east. And so he was in Southern California. And about that time, there was a lot of hippie people on the streets, a lot of guys dating girls, traveling across the, traveling and living off the land as the old swing guy. Well, anyway, some of these girls got pregnant. Some of them just got abandoned. And they were out on the street. And this brother had a heart of evangelism. And he would go out on the street and he would share Jesus with people. And pretty soon these Girls would start getting saved. And so he had about eight or nine of them living in his house. 
Well, the elders of the church that he attended got word of that. And so they went over to him and they confronted him and saying, you know, the Bible says that we are to abstain from all appearances of evil and you're living with nine women. And he said, you know, I'm so glad you're here tonight. He said, now you, Elder Bill, I'm going to send three of these women home to stay in your house. And I'm going to send three of these women home, Elder Tom, to stay in your house. And I'm going to send these other three with you. Oh, no, no, no. We don't want them in our house. Well, if they don't stay here, they'll be back out on the street. And it was kind of interesting because here you find that their prejudice, and you might say their unwillingness to become part of the solution created more of the problem. Well, as the disciples had approached Peter saying, you went in and you ate with them. And of course, keeping company with a Gentile was to be considered that of a a great offense. In fact, uh, according to um, their, you might say their customs, if you were downtown and uh, you were walking in a marketplace and your coat happened to flip open in the wind and it touched a Gentile, you would have to go seek forgiveness. Because, you see, there was such a prejudice against the people that were not of the true, pure Jewish race. We remember Jesus at the well. And he said, woman, give me a drink. And she said, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan, for a drink of water? Uh, We don't have uh, correspondence with each other. We don't have anything to do with each other. And we remember that Jesus bridged that gap. And so we understand then that prejudice can be a very paralyzing thing, you might say, for the work of God to happen. Now, I believe any time that we see something that is not right, for instance, appearance of sin or something, and we want to interject ourselves into that mix, we then have to be willing to be part of the solution of the problem. We can't just say, oh, look oh, what you're doing. Ah, 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 ah. Can't do that. When you find something, you become involved with it and help bring resolve. There's a lot of fault finders in the world today. But there's very few reconcilers, you might say, or those that by the guidance of the Holy Spirit fix the problem. Well, he says here that you went into the uncircumcised men and ate with them. You, you had fellowship with those heathen, slime Gentiles. See, we don't oftentimes understand how prejudiced people can be, but you have to remember something. When God sent Jonah to Nineveh, Jonah would rather sail across the ocean, you might say, and catch a ship bound for Tarshish, which was the most outmost known port. Now, we don't exactly know where Tarshish was. Some people believe it was Spain. Some people believe it was far away as England. Uh, Jonah was on that boat going the other way to share his holy, precious God with these bunch of uh, Gentile heathen slimes. Nobody liked the Assyrians. And Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And I imagine when Jonah went into the city of Nineveh after he got ralphed out on the beach by the whale, or the fish, the Bible says, the great fish, that his message was not tempered with a lot of love. The Bible says he just said, 40 days and Nineveh is overthrown. 
And um, we also recognize that after he spent three days in the belly of a fish, probably the gastric juices had ate all of his hair off. He was a lighter shade of pale. Mommy, there's a green man out in the street yelling something. You know, I mean, this probably had a great impact in the city of Nineveh. But the Bible said it was so pronounced, this city of three days journey across, that beginning with the king all the way down to the ordinary people, the city repented and God spared Nineveh almost an extra hundred years because of their repentance. Well, the prejudice was so strong. Jonah, when he went up on this hill waiting for the judgment of God and God didn't judge the city, Jonah was angry that God didn't bring his judgment upon these heathen sinners, these, these, these Gentiles. So understanding this uh, was something that almost was to the point of removing Peter, you might say, from those things concerning God. Well, Peter explained to them in order from the beginning, saying, now this is important because, first of all, we have it recorded for us in the previous chapter. But what also is important is that we find now a second time that it is written in the scriptures. You say, why is that important? Because I believe that God wanted to make it crystal clear, saying it twice, that God has accepted the Gentiles. So he says to them, I was in the city of Joppa praying. And I was in a trance and I saw a vision and an object descended like a great sheet let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came to me. And I observed it intently and considered, and I saw four-footed animals of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord. (laughs) You always know you're in trouble when you argue with God. Not so, God. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Now, you have to think about this for a minute. Here he sees a vision. A voice says, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And he begins to contend with God because his convictions of kosher food was so strong. So this tells us that it wasn't, well, okay, I'll do what you say. It's three times he says this happened. And he says, but I said, not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean is at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, what God is cleansed, you must not call common. Now this was done three times and all was drawn up again into heaven. And at that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me and we entered the man's house. He said, there was some guys I brought with me, probably as witnesses. He called them brethren, so we know that it wasn't speaking of Cornelius's band of those servants of his that sent for Cornelius to come, uh, sent for Paul, uh, Peter to come to Cornelius's house. So he brought some believers with him. I think that's also kind of nice to know that there was six believers that saw this that happened as well, and uh, certainly that's good for the record as far as correcting any any uh, problems or exaggerations or deletions in the story. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house and said to him, send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter. Now we talked about this before, how the Holy Spirit in the church was working on both ends. 
working on Peter's prejudice and at the same time revealing to Cornelius his need for God. Now, something that I found, this is a way that it works. Whenever God is motivating us to do something, God is also motivating people on the other end for a point of meeting. That is something that always that you'll notice in your life. You'll sometimes share your faith with somebody and they'll look at you and say, well, it's funny you talked to me about this because I was just thinking about going to church this Sunday. Anybody ever had that happen? I have. And, and you say, well, that's weird because here God is speaking to them at the same time God is prompting us to respond. Now, we remember that as we studied last week, when Peter was in the house of Cornelius, I, I'm sure that nothing that he'd ever studied ever taught him how to talk to these heathen Gentiles. But there's a funny part of a verse there that says, and Peter opened his mouth. And we talked about that last week, that sometimes just opening your mouth is a step of faith which God will fill it. In fact, Jesus said that you'll be brought before magistrates and kings and people like that. And he says, don't worry about what you're going to say or try to premeditate what you're going to say because the Holy Spirit will give you what you are to say at that moment. So I believe sometimes it's just simply uh, stepping on in faith. But realize that God is working on that other individual. And the longer we live, saints, something we have to remember is there's a whole lot more going on in our lives than accident. Uh, Let me rephrase that. There's a whole lot more going on in our life than you might say casual acquaintances. I believe as we become born again by the Spirit of God... God directly and divinely guides us in our daily lives. Now, do we always pick up on the cues? In other words, God may have arranged for us to cross paths with this individual for a long time with the, you might say, with the hope of we'd step out in faith and say, well, how are you? And I found sometimes that just a simple hello or an introduction will then open the door for them to begin to respond And you can begin to exchange ideas and you begin to find out, saints, really how lonely and how heartbroken and how scared people really are in this world. And maybe those acquaintances in your life right now are not by accident. And just maybe these people that we rub elbows with, God has been working on and they're scared to death about the things to come. See, we have a hope in heaven. You know, our name's written in the book of life. Uh, to live is Christ, to die is gain. But when you get into uh, people that are outside of faith, and maybe all they have is a religion that they hold on to, they don't have the hope that you do. I, I, I've talked to people in religions. I've talked to people that are bishops and, and others, high ups in churches. And I, I, I asked them, I said, if, if you died today, would you go to heaven? And they look at me with all sincerity and they say, well, I've done the best I can. And I said, well, I applaud you for that, but do you realize that we don't go to heaven because of our best doing? We go to heaven because Jesus died on the cross for us. In other words, my entry, your entry into heaven is not predicated upon your, my performance. It's predicated upon what Jesus did for you and me. In other words, going to heaven is completely the responsibility of somebody who loved you that died in your place. Wouldn't you say that's the good news? Yeah, that's good news. Well, that's actually what the word gospel means, the good news. 
The good news is you don't have to own it. God's already given it to you. That's great news. See, and, and, and so understanding that God has been working on these people, we enjoy that comfort, knowing that our name is in the book of life, that God's got it under control. He'll supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. And in a minute, we're going to, as we get up here a little bit farther, we're going to see sometimes how God does that. But one of the things we have to remember is that they don't have that comfort that you do. Their names are not written in the book of life. They're scared to death. What happens after you die? I don't know. I just hope it isn't, doesn't hurt, you know. I had a guy one time tell me that. He goes, oh, I don't know about dying. I just pray it doesn't hurt. Sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. But the good news is, if you're a Christian, your name is in the book of life. You don't have to worry about that. And by the way, when you lead somebody to Christ, and this is something to always remember, um, reassure them that their name is in the book of life. If they've accepted Christ as Savior. You know, it's funny that Jesus said that. He said, whatever sins... You remit, they're remitted. And whatever sins you forgive, they're forgiven. And you say, well, I thought only Jesus could forgive sins. And yet I read that verse in the Bible that says, whatever sins are you forgive, they're forgiven. Well, I can't forgive sins. What does that mean? Well, it's the authority that God gives you and me. You see, tonight I can say, if you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you put your faith in him, your sins are forgiven. You, me, I can say that, you can say that. I can also say, and you can also say, if you don't put your faith, hope, and trust in Christ, your sins are retained or they will remain with you and you'll give an account of them on judgment day. You see, that's the authority of the believer. Well, because of that, because of who we are in Christ, that brings great comfort to our hearts and to our lives. We go, wow, God, that is cool that I know where I'm going, that we have a promise in heaven, but the world doesn't have that. I believe the Holy Spirit works on people that do not have that comfort. I believe the Holy Spirit works on people that are outside of faith, that's saying, hey, there's more to life than living each day. We talked about this before in Ecclesiastes, but the Bible says that God has put eternity on men's hearts or on people's hearts. In other words, people that are living every day, they know that there's something more in existence than just living on this life. There's a life hereafter somewhere, somehow, God's put eternity in their hearts. Well, as we find here that Cornelius, God had been working on him. Uh, Tomorrow, I kind of always wonder about that. You know, you go in the store, you see people behind the counter, and and I look at them sometimes, I I, want to say, I wonder if... You know, I'm saying this to me, I'm not saying that to them, but I'm saying, I wonder if God's been working on you. And sometimes it's kind of fun to find out. So you'll say something like, uh, what do you think is happening in the world today? Oh, I don't know. It's a big mess. I don't know what's happened. I'm scared to death. They go, oh, God's been working on you. Because see, if God hadn't been working on you, you wouldn't care. You'd say, I don't know. I don't care. But you see, people who think You have to conclude there's something not right. That's where I believe the Holy Spirit communicates to them as he unctions us. You say, but Mike, I don't know what to say. Peter opened his mouth. God filled it. All I'm saying is step out in faith. Just, ah, hi. God will do the rest. You just let God do that. He does that well. So, so he told us how he had seen a vision. Or seen an angel standing in his house who said to him, send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you the words by which you and all your house 
will be saved. Now, we've talked about this many times, but I still, every time I come across it in the Bible, it, it kind of, you know, it's kind of one of those verses that stand out. Why didn't the angel just say, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved? The angel didn't do that. The angel had Peter come, sent for for Peter to come and preach the gospel to them. Kind of gives you a couple of things. First of all, the value that God places on you and me as communicators of the truth. That's really major. He didn't let the angels do it. He let you do it. Me do it. The other thing I think is, is amazing is that God keeps us listening to him. Um, I don't have the whole plan of God for my life right now. I just don't. I wish I did, but I don't. Well, Mike, what are you going to do tomorrow? I think I'm going to get up tomorrow morning. And it's going to be cold. I think. But we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen between now and then. This happens sometimes to me. I'll get a call at 2 in the morning. Somebody's been in a car accident. I'll go up to the hospital and I'll come up and see him. I don't know what's going to happen. And and, and sometimes people say, well, you know, I want a God that kind of tells me everything that's going on. I, I like that. But then again, where then does faith come into our Christian experience? So when we really live by faith, we say, okay, God, you know, I'm your child. Tell me what you want me to do. And we respond to opportunity. We need to be opportunists for the kingdom of heaven. You know, we used to be, before we came to Christ, we were opportunists for ourselves, right? You know, every door that ain't locked when no one's around kind of thing. Well, we need to be opportunists for the kingdom of God. In other words, have that eye of what, how God might be working in this other individual's life that he has put me around. So, Cornelius, now primed ready to hear the gospel. So then he says, and as I began to speak, and he he began to talk, and right in the middle of his sermon, the Holy Spirit interrupted him. Oh, God does those things. (laughs) But I like it. Look what he says. He says, and I began to speak, and the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us in the beginning, going back to Acts chapter 2, when they all were gathered in the upper room as they were being obedient to what Jesus said. He said, go in the upper room and wait, and the Holy Spirit will come. Well, these guys were just there, and right in the middle of Peter's sermon, the Holy Spirit fell on them. Then I remembered the word that the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you will be, shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Wow, now there is a truth. Um, we read the Bible, we read things, we hear things. Sometimes we may not always understand what we read. People I've had say that to me. Well, I read the Bible, I only understand about 5-10% of what I'm reading. Maybe you're like that too sometimes. I, I, I've been like that. Sometimes if I'm really like that, really bad, got a bad case of ADD, I kind of slow down, see how many, not how many I can, you know, well, I read 45 verses a day like notches in your gun, you know, <laughs> 45 notches in my Bible. You'd be better off to maybe read five verses and really let it soak in to know what God's saying. Well, something here, it says, then I remembered the word of the Lord. Wow, isn't it funny that God will put us in situations that will force us to remember what he told us in, you might say, pre-training to be able to respond to what's actually happening to us now. 
Thanks for joining us on It's Time, as Pastor Mike teaches verse-by-verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening. And tune in next time for It's Time. It's time.